0: Brother Ernie, you ready? I was
1: born ready,
0: man. <laughs> Ty, you ready? <laughs> Why not? Time out, Tyler. Who are we taking a timeout with today?
2: Well, thank you, Kevin, and ladies and gentlemen, we have Ernie Panicoli on with us this afternoon. <laughs> we don't know how we ran into this guy. We don't know how we're in the same room with this gentleman, but uh, Ernie is uh, an author, an activist. Uh, a father and a, a business owner with his daughter and Arnie, we just want to start it right out. Who, who are you most, who was the most profound rapper that you got to take a photo of?
1: I can't, I can't answer that with one name, but I would say Chuck D. Karis one, uh, most deaf. Yasin Bey. Bay. Um, there's a brother in England I got to meet called Akala. Uh, you know, there there were several. But um, I never approached them as rappers. I approached them as human beings, as brothers and sisters. And, uh, you know, that fame thing doesn't work in our world. You know, in our world, it's like... Uh, a lot of people don't know that my background is, even though I have all these different racial things and backgrounds from Brooklyn and being in a gang and jail and Navy, um, I believe that your whole value is not how much you made, how much you took, but it's how much you gave. Mm. It's how much do you give back? Can you alter influence the people around you, to act in a way that's more conducive to survival, and, you know, um, just just a lot of things. And and Buddhism they teach you that you are part of a cosmos. You are part of a whole interplanetary, global, universal thing, and that your only value is how do you add, not how do you subtract, what do you take, what do you, you know, no, it's how do you add to the mix? Mm-hmm. And uh, even though I have a sense of humor and laugh a lot, to me, that's deadly serious. Yeah. You know, you have to, you must give back. And there's different ways of giving back. And, and one of the ways that I had no control over and surprised me and gave me joy was when i get calls or emails or whatever kind of communication smoke signals where young people say brother you influenced me you inspired me you made me realize that to be strong i have to give up drugs i have to give up alcohol and and you know find a more natural way and that's a blessing. That's that's something very blessing.
0: It's a, it seems like you've been able to really develop relationships. And and before we got on, you talked about educating some of these people, right? So so somebody that comes from nothing, and then all of a sudden, let's say we 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 are a hip hop icon like Tupac or Biggie, right? You mentioned that um, that doesn't really. I guess, um, get them out of their body to really have an impact on the world, right? And you said one of the most dangerous things is, a, is an educated, knowledgeable artist or celebrity, right? Because then they, they, they can understand how to use that opportunity to, to help others. How did you, I guess, um, what were some of the ways that you were coaching these professionals, like these, these people that in hip hop to really find out who they were and how they can make a greater impact on the world outside of just music?
1: I had the conversation with Nas, I had the conversation with Tupac and Tupac seemed very, you know, like he was listening and not listening. And then shortly afterwards I heard a song where I I told him and, and Nas and a lot of these artists that you have an album, it's 90 minutes long and you have to follow the Rastafarians where they talk about you know getting laid and smoking weed and all this crazy shit but always on that album there's one minute that give back to their people and one minute they give back to Jah so i said you could have 89 minutes of bullshit, but give one minute back to your people so one day i'm listening to tupac and there's a line in there which stabbed me in the chest it said they got money for war and can't feed the poor my mind exploded because he had listened. In between all the bullshit on the album, he's saying they got money for war and can't feed the poor. You can't unhear that. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. We just spent 20 years in Afghanistan and now they're talking about they can't help the the survivors of uh, these different hurricanes and you gotta fill out a a phone book full of information to get a quart of milk for your baby, no. And with uh, Nas, we had the conversation, and again, he looked like his mind was somewhere else. I was cool with that. And then one day, I turn on the TV and see him with a bunch of kids, and they're playing a piano, and the song is called "I Know I Can Be What I Want to Be If I Work Hard at It," you know. And it's all about self empowerment of these kids. So, whether it was my input or not, you know. Uh, I, I've had conversations with KRS-One. I hear that same conversation in the song. What I'm saying is, I can reach a limited amount of people, and I tell these rappers, you can reach tens of millions. So, like Gil Scott-Heron said, which was so beautiful, he has a song called "Message to the Messengers," and. I can't reach 10 million people, but these rappers can. So I plant a seed in their ear and it comes out of their mouth and it goes into the ears of all these kids. So that, that, that's how I do it.
0: That, uh, you're just making an impact everywhere. Uh, and, and you're talking about millions of people listening to that song. And I'm a big Bob Marley fan, right? He, he talks in his music about how it, music has a way to bring people together and find that common ground um, and, and understanding. Uh, One of the things that uh, we see in music, right, is how influential and how it's like talking and bringing up current events, right, things that are happening, like you mentioned, war. Um, And a lot of times, hip-hop is not known for that, right? If people don't listen to hip-hop, they think that it's all about guns, sex, drugs, uh, cars, whatever it might be, but really, they're artists at the end of the day. And you being an artist, a photographer, right, right? I'm sure there was other photographers in the room sometimes when you were taking photos of of these hip hop artists, but why did you think it was so important to take the activist side of your artwork?
1: I didn't ever consciously think of that. I go back to when I was a kid, we were poor, we were on welfare. I was basically a kid that would have been relegated to the dust heap or jail. And when I'd come home from school, my mother would say, What did you learn today? And I would tell her, and she said, That's bullshit. <laughs> you know, and she would break down all the different lies. You know, Columbus discovered America. That's like me discovering your TV. You know, or me going into your bedroom and discovering your wife. <laughs> or discovering your car. I can't go to court and tell your honor I discovered it. Yeah, he's going to give me five more years for being a dumbass and a wise ass. So, you know, that you multiply that every day. I go to school and every day I come home. And actually, my education ended in the sixth grade. Wow. Uh, I went to school, I, I did a couple of years in college, did all that, but my actual education ended in the sixth grade. One day, The teacher got up and we were all, I was in a class with 35 kids, it was hot, we were sweaty, we were hungry, and you know, our minds were elsewhere, and the teacher gets up and draws something on the board and says, energy can neither be created or destroyed. And my mind just, my ears came back and all the rest of the kids were still in daydreamingville. you know, they were picking their noses or, you know scribbling, and I said, how is that possible? What do you mean energy can never be created or destroyed? And she said, energy just is. It can be changed into different forms. You know, it can light a light bulb, it can power a boat. You know, she said, but energy, right there, sixth grade, that was it. And all I did for the, for the rest of my life was try to figure out what energy was. And then in the 60s, we heard the expression of good energy. They called it good vibes, but it was basically the same. And if when I started studying martial arts, I see these little skinny guys, man. I could beat them with my blindfolded with one hand. And they're throwing people through the air that are bigger than me. And I'm over six foot tall. And I'm like, what? And then I realized it's energy. And then I'd listen to music. And I say, how could that little skinny guy, whether it's Sinatra or uh, anybody, how can they, you know, be considered so great around a planet? Again, it's energy. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you go watch a movie and you see a person that, that's a spiritual force, and again, it's energy. So once we understand that we have energy and that we're the manifestation of energy. We can change everything around us. And we don't need, you know, magic, you know, a crystal ball or a levitation. No, we have this energy. You as a, a father, you have a young child. What you're putting into that child besides how to, you know, eat and, and walk and, you know, you're putting energy into it. Mm-hmm. And depending upon where your energy is, it will, it will involve the transmission of energy to that baby mm-hmm. and then one day you wake up and find out you're a grandfather like i am three times and you're like like uh david burns said you wake up you're in this beautiful house with this beautiful wife you got a beautiful car you got beautiful how did i get here <laughs> you know he's <laughs> like think about it. when every time i hear that song you know it's like so it's it's about energy and once you find out about that energy which goes back to buddhism and martial arts you suddenly say jesus or buddha or allah whatever and you're like how did i get here Mm -hmm. you know i've said i spent two days with salvador dali i schooled biggie I met Tupac, I argued with him, you know, on and on and on, all these people. But then I realized that that's my energy and it raised me to that level where I could go and transmit information to them, They, you know. And you stay modest through that because you realize that you're just, you know, one more piece of sand on the beach. And once you forget that and start thinking it's you no it's the energy and the energy is not yours it's the energy all around us Wow! i i saw a film man about some buddhist monks in, in tibet and i won't even tell you my story about tibet me and th- the tibetans they they go out in these robes and they sit in the ice and they take off their clothes they just got a little loincloth and they sit there and the, the snow and the ice melts around them Holy cow! And they sit there for three hours. Energy. You know how much of the brain we use? Ten percent.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. And uh, so did you uh, and Tyler and I get this right because uh, we have. Uh, I know exactly what you mean. Is like when you talk to somebody, they're either energy draining, right? Uh, like it's almost like you're you have to you're putting in so much energy to make the conversation work or right relationship happen. Um, but it's unbelievable to hear how you kind of took the energy, right? That you learned in sixth grade. Sixth grade. (laughs) (laughs) Really, and Tyler and I talk about it is check that ego, right? I think sometimes people are so focused that it's their success that they've been able to find and they've been able to achieve. Not, and it clearly sounds like there's other people that obviously help us to get to where we are, like God, Allah, whatever it might be, but also the other people in our lives that are teaching us their ways, right? And the ways that they've learned. Now, I know your, your, your history, right? You're, you're half Italian and then half Native American. Um, how, when, in sixth grade, right? When you start, said, how can I um, maybe have a better impact by the energy that I'm putting out in this world? Why, why did you, why was that so important to you in the sixth grade? And why did that carry you on throughout your entire life? Why was I, that?
1: I never, in the sixth grade, I was just fascinated by the idea that, you know, energy could never be, you know, I still can't totally wrap my head around it. Yeah. A couple of months ago, I I think in July, the government came out and said that there are 140 instances where the Navy encountered unidentified flying objects, and they can't, you know, they can't they can't uh, explain that. Mm-hmm. Now that's maybe ten percent of what happened, and and so on. The reason I mention it is because we think of ourselves as terrestrial. Mm-hmm. When someone uses the term extraterrestrial, you think of space. Extraterrestrial means not on the planet, mm-hmm. not of the planet. You know, all those astronauts became extraterrestrials because they left the planet. Mm-hmm. They didn't become Martians. They became extraterrestrials. When you leave the planet, you become an extraterrestrial. Okay, we tend to think of ourselves on a global scale. Once you start thinking of yourself in a universe Mm -hmm. and universal mind, you'll be surprised at the things you can do. Uh, I have to put something into the record. I'm 74 years old, and my energy. Trust me. And again, it's about energy. And no, I don't, you know, drink this milkshake or or eat that vegetable or you know, no, it's it's not no. It's internal. Mm-hmm. It's from here, there, there's three places here, the mind, the heart, and the one you can't see, which is the soul. Mm-hmm. Do you realize, and, and this is a challenge to you, look it up and see if I'm correct. As humans, we can only see one percent of the visual reality around one percent. X-rays see something else, infrared see something else. There's you know, all these different in, in the in the spectrum, we see one percent. With our brain, we use maximum 10 percent. That means 90 percent is not being used. With our eyes. We see 1%, that means 99% is not being seen. And once you get into energy and, and realize what your chakras are and realize that in, in a very small amount of meditation, you can do crazy things. Like sometimes I meet somebody and, and you know, I decide I'm gonna play with them. So I shake their hand and they pull back because there's this heat intense heat that you learn how to put because you learn how to put heat in different parts of your body and that freaks people they're like i said what's the matter (laughs) They, they, they shake my hand again it's not there so i must you know but we we don't do that we we're consumed with walking talking breathing we don't know how to breathe
0: and do you think it's because we're not taking the time necessary? No, it's because we're not being trained to do that. Wow. <laughs>
2: well, Ernie, I got to ask you, how do you start your mornings out? Like, I I got to know more about you. How, when you wake up, what the heck does brother Ernie do? If you For go, if, you is I, I saw I'll explain There's
1: a video called Thank You by Ernie Panicoli. It's on YouTube. And it was put together by the people who put the Beatles together. And if I tell you the story about me and the Beatles, you won't sleep tonight, so we're (laughs) going to let that go. But if you see the video, you'll see it's called Thank You. And it's very, very simple. It's not esoteric or religious or political or racial. It's very simple. Because even Jesus, who was a great teacher,
0: kept it simple. Mm The Buddha kept it stories. simple. Huh? And he taught through stories. Yeah.
1: Because he was talking to farmers and, you know, people that were close to the earth. So he talked about sheep and shepherds and, you know, he
0: kept it simple. When you get that universal view, because I I, I, that, I had the same thing when I first started watching the cosmos, right? The cosmos, you start watching like the first episode, they talk about like how small earth is really in the, the <laughs> planetary, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then they, he, he zooms out and it's like, we are a freckle or a grain of sand, let's say on that beach. But I, I love the idea of a universal view because then it's the opportunity that you're so much smaller. You are not a, you're not a big player <laughs> the world does not revolve around you. And it, it, it humbled me as well. And I think that universal view is something that obviously then, then you started to um, educate these hip hop artists uh, in, at all stages of life. I'm only 32 years old. I celebrated my birthday over the weekend. But I can honestly tell you, every year I'm getting better as a person because I'm learning from mistakes and failures. What was one thing that you had to learn early in your career, right, as you're, as you're kind of having these conversations and these discussions and really probably seeing the uglier side of the media and the celebrity world. What What was the one lesson that you can reflect back on, Ernie, that, that really you had to learn at that point in, in time in your life? Growing up, <laughs> I didn't look like the other kids. And,
1: you know, they, for a whole bunch of reasons, were either jealous or angry or had a bunch of issues and I'd get beat up every day and I had to join a gang and so on and so forth. And I spent six years in the military, had to deal, you know, in the street with the police and just, you know, all the stuff that's a recipe for failure, for a recipe for someone who's going to be written off for a recipe for someone who spends the rest of their life incarcerated or dies at 14. So the first thing I had to do was learn to laugh and smile. Even in hip hop, as big as I am, you'd have some kid come up to me, and I'm over six foot, and I'm 260 pounds, and you know, sometimes they had two or three, they had little buddies with them, and they, they were ready, you know. Rah! And I'd look him in the eye, get real close, which makes people uncomfortable. Really nervous, yeah. (laughs) You know, I'd I'd look him in the eye and I'd laugh and I'd say, wow, you really want to dance with me? You really, come on, man. You really, really. And, you know, like, I said, come on, man. There's other shit we could be, you know, we could do other shit, you know. Come on, man, you really... but if you want, and I start taking off my watch and they start laughing. And, you know, so I had to learn how to laugh. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn about the emptiness and the futility of violence. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean I'm a pacifist, but it means that rather than confront or deal with this, you re-imagine that
2: energy.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Who taught you how to laugh? That's it. Excellent. Dave Chappelle, no. <laughs> no, that's it.
1: <laughs> I, I think that when you when you are about to do something in the native community, we have a expression of being aware of seven generations. And believe me, you can do things that reflect upon seven generations into the future. (laughs) And you may not realize it, but there are things that you can do which can influence seven generations. And if a generation is 20 or 30 years, that's
0: 210 years. So we talk about legacy. What what do you want your legacy to be remembered for, Brother Ernie? (laughs) out of all those accolades out of the 20,000 photos that are sitting up at Cornell right now (laughs)
1: 22,000
0: that are online
1: and another 250,000 they haven't released yet and another 150,000 they haven't seen so one thing is that I'm prolific the other thing and I'll share this with you and your your listeners there is a secret and there's a secret time And that secret time is that few seconds to answer your question, which I didn't forget. How do I start off the day between, and and I know most people in America don't know what dream time is. In Australia, the aborigines know. They know where you go, they know what you do, they know what that is. Freud knew a little bit. Dreams. Jung knew a little bit. The dream, between the time your your spirit has gone and comes back into your body, and at night before you go to sleep, there's a period where you're going to sleep, there's a period when you're waking. That period, in, in, in the physical world, I call that the golden light. Well, that's a golden time. And if you just think about things, not negative things or positive things, just think. A lot of my photography, a lot of my ideas, I'm a painter. A lot of my paintings came to me in that period of time. I don't, I don't pick up a paintbrush and say, what, what am I going to do? It comes to me. I see the image, and then I just copy the image. So what do I do in the morning? I just give up to hmm. And the first two words out of your mouth have to be the same as the two words at night. It has to be thank you. Wow if you had the shittiest day in the world, if you got your ass kicked, if you lost your job, if your woman and your kids ran away, if, if the police are outside with shotguns, you get up, you say, thank you. Because the story's not written yet. Wow. And before you go to sleep at night, say thank you. And that will take you into a different place.
2: How'd you know I was going to ask you how you go to bed, also, Ernie? That was literally my next question. You know, I, I've been really interested in how you wake up and how you go to bed. So it's by saying thank you in the morning, thank you in the evening. And I got to ask you to expand on that. Who the heck taught you that?
1: I learned it. It, it came to me. And I'll tell you something else. One of the worst things, the, the most unhealthy thing that we do as a civilization here. in in the wilderness of North America, is we go to bed at a certain time because we have to get up at a certain time and we have to do, once you get into being liberated enough where you don't have to follow the clock, you go to sleep when you are tired, you wake up when you wake up, you eat when you are hungry. We we eat at eight o'clock, that's breakfast, noon, six o'clock. No, we're following the clock. We're not following our rhythms. Once you change that rhythm, shoot. And it doesn't mean, and and I got to warn everybody, it doesn't mean that people are going to like you. It doesn't mean people are going to love you or respect you. doesn't matter. They have to deal with their, their vortexes. You have to deal with yours. You have to deal with your reality, and you have to deal with that piece. And (laughs) I've I've walked into meetings and, you know, people like, you know, and and I won't be dressed like this. I'll be dressed nondescript, but they feel it. Yeah. You know, I remember getting on a train three o'clock in the morning in Brooklyn and there were three cops there. You know, they got guns and, you know, all that. And they looked at me and they're like, and I just sat there like this and smiled and it just threw the, you know, it just threw the whole, sh- you know, so I understood a thing called presence.
2: That's what I was going to want to ask you as well to kind of school Kevin and I on pre- being present as well as your presence. Because for me, I just want to take a little th- uh, time. The more present I am, the more I don't care about that time that you speak <laughs> of. I like- And I really freak people out, Ernie, brother Ernie, I'll say, I really don't believe in time. You know, that doesn't mean I'm showing up late or arriving early, but whatever, not that kind of time. But once I'm engaged spiritually, soulfully with somebody, I could give a crap about time, Ernie. And I just would love to know your thoughts, your insights, school Kevin and I on your presence and being present if you could.
1: A lot of women have never been kissed. Yeah, (laughs) They're kissed when you need something or they're kissed when you want something or they're kissed to thank them for something they did for you, okay? So once you learn how to kiss and, and kissing is a supreme thing and the reason it's supreme and most women have not been kissed, most men have not been kissed is because you have all this 359 degrees of you are thinking about later, tomorrow, what this means. You you go, but once you make this connection like this to another human being, all of that, and and you just, something very strange happens. Hmm. Hmm. And I don't say that to talk about sex this is this is beyond sex. This is communion. This is two human beings, two souls. Mm-hmm. So most women have never been kissed. And when you kiss them, it, it, it creates a lot of different things. And you know, they 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 have relations mentally with their fathers, with their children, with their teachers, with their parents. When you kiss a woman, all of that melts, and they've never been there before. It's a little bit frightening, a little bit scary, a little surreal, but it's addictive.
0: Hmm. That's, and, and I think uh, during the pandemic, we, Tyler and I talk about all the time, is that um, individuals finally had time. There was less distractions, no sporting events, no concerts, no anything, right? So we finally had a time, to, I guess, to, to, to hit the pause button in our own lives and now we're starting to hear things, Ernie, like um, people are changing jobs or they're totally like just retiring earlier from, from one career that they've been in their entire life. So having the time, right, in that universal view to take the opportunity to step back and really see what's important. And you mentioned the North American forest. In most cases, we're slaves to our careers, right? We're slaves to, to needing um, benefits, health and benefits. We, we we're, we're slaves. And you talk about the slavery mentality almost in hip hop as well, right? That, that under a record label, they want you to act a certain way. You can't say certain things. They don't that you. How do you? How did you get hip hop artists comfortable with finding who they were, not who they want who everybody else wanted them to be? How did you help them to find out who they were as a person or individual? Because everybody around them was spinning,
1: everybody else, and here they see me, and I'm. And they're looking at all the people spinning and talking and jumping. And here's this one cat. And, you know, the other people get attention because they're loud. they jump, And here, here I am. And that stillness, you know, at some point they're, they're, they're looking all up. Wow. I've, I've had guys that come up to me. Who are you? You know, what are you about? I'm the simplest cat in this room. You know, everybody else is complicated, brilliant, amazing, famous, legendary, all that. I'm I'm just I'm just sitting here watching and listening. And I go back, you know, and that disturbs people. I remember once, and this goes back to 71. Uh, I was with, I was at this place with one of my teachers, and we had a thing where you could come in and get free food and look around and see, you know. And all these people, everybody was coming in they were getting some food or, you know, a drink or whatever. And we had people break down and start crying. And you go up and hold them. And, you know, we didn't ask why they were crying. We knew why they were crying because everybody's outside. There's all this. And here, here's everybody just I'm not talking about singing and, you know, having a little pony to, you know, I'm not talking about the hour Christmas. I'm talking about what we were doing. Okay. We weren't, you know, doing any of that. It was just the stillness. And sometimes the stillness can be perceived different ways. You can be scared of it. Like, why is this cat? He must be stoned.
0: <laughs> you
1: know? yeah. He hasn't moved in an hour now. Yeah. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> There's all this stuff going on that, you know, girls showing this and that and they got this, you know, and, and you're like... unfazed. Well, not unfazed. It's just, you know, we just see it as more noise. Mm-hmm. You know, visual noise. And, you know, if they realized how beautiful they could be. Like, they got this new thing now where the girls have eyelashes like this. (laughs) And, and they, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the transformation of women, young women, older women, and I'm looking at the guys, you know, and I'm seeing like, they're really trying hard. If you, if you go into the forest and see the birds, they, they, they grow, you know, crazy feathers and colors and, the reason they do that is to attract the mate. So I'm asking myself, okay, I know why she's got those eyelashes that, that are as long as my finger, but what's in his mind that's drawing him to that? And what can they possibly have together? Mm-hmm. What can they possibly and what kind of children will they have? Mm-hmm. And how clueless would the children be if the parents, you know, are are linked into that?
0: Well, oh, yeah. Now you see social media with all those filters and things, and it's an altered yeah. it's an yeah. altered reality that they're creating. And you know, everybody's yelling.
1: <laughs> you know, everybody's <laughs> loud. And you know, I walk and and you know, I'm suspicious. I got stopped at the airport. I was sitting there like this, and you know there were all these rednecks and yahoos, and the police came up the the Homeland Security, whatever. They asked me to go into a room, and uh, you know started asking me questions, and I was smiling. And they said, "Who are you?" I said, "You don't know who I am." They said, "No." So I said, "When you know who I am, you won't ask who I am." In there. It just threw them all off their game. Do you think that uh, silence, people are uncomfortable with silence? Well, these were big, scary guys with guns. Yeah. And one of them said, you can go now. And as I'm going, he made a move towards me. He said, can I hug
2: you? (laughs) And all his boys were like.
0: That's powerful.
2: Yeah, Ernie, I can feel your silence. And your stillness through this screen we're on right here like we don't even have to be in person and for some reason i caught that when i was on your website i was like oh my god kevin (laughs) we're about to get the the man on Mm. in about in about eight minutes we're getting some guy who's been there done that and knows a lot more than us and and you do you know i was so excited to ask you about biggie tupac whomever i'm more excited about you brother ernie than any of those fellas right now and i wanted to hit you up about fear how do you deal with fear? And what have you learned? I'm just trying to suck every inch out of this interview <laughs> about how to make Kevin and I better, to be honest. And others that will give to, like we talked about giving. But how do you deal with fear, please?
1: Okay. I'm, I'm afraid is the first two words you say. I'm afraid. I'm afraid, you know, he won't like me. She won't like me. She won't let me take her out. I'm afraid my kids won't understand me. I'm, well, you say it and you start to believe it. The truth is from the third grade on, you don't give a shit if anyone likes you. That's number one. Don't care. You like me? Cool. Thank you. You don't? That's cool. Thank you. And And once you get to the place where, you know, you don't care if they like you and you're not seeking approval, then you have chance to find your art, your voice, your, your writing, your whatever it is, your you're interviewing. But you you know, th- there's a scene. Have have you guys seen the movie Belly? Long time uh, ago.
0: Yeah, that's probably yeah. I'm thinking ten years ago maybe. Yeah.
1: Okay. <laughs> there's a scene where DMX is in a room with Rankin Louis, who uh, is an older guy, Jamaican hardcore gangster. And he's trying to work with Rankin-Louis. And he's telling him, you know, he wants to you know, be part of his drug trade, all that stuff. And Louie doesn't really like this guy. and doesn't really trust him because he's too loud, too erratic. And DMX says to him, he says, unless you're scared. And Rankin got, got real tense. He says, Don't come to me with that scared shit. I ain't afraid of nothing. I killed just to see people die. He said, don't come to me with that scared shit. And, you know, it's the first time that, that somebody had thrown him off. And he was, you know, don't come to me with that scared shit. And even though it was kind of, you know, it made sense. If you get scared, why do people see horror movies to get scared? Mm-hmm. You don't have to see a horror movie. Go walk down the street. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that... If you turn on CNN, all it's about is fear. Exactly. MSNBC, and Fox News is the greatest because they're just, oh, all black people are bad, all brown people are worse. You know, Muslims are horrible. You know, white people are great. But you know, you, need... I'm like, God, this whole thing is scared. Once you stop being scared, first, if you live one year or hundred years, you're gonna die. You were born with a death sentence. There are very few people, and there are some, who have never died. There are those people that that are here. There's a movie called The Holy Mountain which goes into it. Once you realize if you live a year or a thousand years, you have to die. What could be scarier than than losing your children, your family, your life, your possessions, every, death? But we try to pretend we're not aware of it, and then we say, "How can we expand our life?" So we start eating vegetables. You quit smoking crack. You quit drinking vodka or whatever, and you start sleeping more, and you start exercising, and you start going to the doctor and checking your blood pressure. But my friend, you say you're not afraid of the day when you meet death, but will you say when the day arrives and you draw your very last breath? Oh, I see. You're only 23 and still think yourself quite young. Or perhaps you think you're a mortal and that your heart will forever beat. But only fools try to change the rules in a game where death will cheat. You might gain a year or two. You might even gain up to 10. But sure, as I'm sitting here talking to you, death will catch up with you in the end. My friend, why I look of terror in your eyes? I thought you weren't afraid to die. Or has your life been tainted and is slowly slipping you by?
2: Mm. So, wow. And how do you keep that top of mind right there, you know? Um, to really value life day to day, on the day to day.
1: Martial arts teaches you how to deal with most shit teaches you how to fall, it teaches you how, you know, it teaches you how to block. And if you go into the indigenous martial arts, the Mu Duk Kwan, it teaches you how to deal with, again, the energy. It doesn't mean you're Superman, but it just makes life easier when you get two people and bump their heads together and they're laying there like, what the fuck just happened? You know? So you carry that. That's why they, these kids all carry guns and knives and bazookas and you know you see those people, January 6th at the Capitol, they, they weren't there with, you know, of course they were scared. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. thought that somehow January 6th and being with other imbeciles would make them less scared. It made them more scared. Being de- de- I'm glad you asked that question because dealing with fear is the essential. And it's part of being an artist. And once you become a true artist, you're not scared anymore. Nas should have been scared to do that song. I know I can be what I want. He should have been scared. And Tupac should have been scared to say they got money for war and can't feed the poor because the capitalist system is gonna crush them and kill them. But he wasn't scared. Mm -hmm. Muhammad Ali should have been scared to say, I'm not going to Vietnam. He didn't have to go to Vietnam. He could have been there doing uh, exhibition boxing and staying at the, you know. Once you you get past fear and and not ignore fear but use that again as a form, back to the original word, energy. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. When did you get past fear in your
1: life? Anytime I was confronted with death, I was walking into a job on 108th Street. Manhattan Avenue, three o'clock in the morning. i just come back, I was working in a night shift and all of a sudden all hell broke loose, shooting, like people running and it's three o'clock in the morning, he's dead still. And this guy, he's shooting at people and I'm going into the doorway and he comes and puts a nine millimeter to my head and shoots three times. And I should have been scared, but I wasn't. And I looked at him, and I cursed at him, and I laughed at him, because his gun jammed. And he started to play with the gun, and just then somebody shot him in the head, and his brains were all over my shirt. So I realized in the times that I've been in physical conflict, you don't have time to be scared. You're trying to to separate yourself from that thing or that person, or that, you know, fear fear is a, is, is a cancer. Fear is terrible. And the way to get past fear is to realize you're not gonna be here forever. And once you have a mission, either to be an artist or a teacher or an inspiration or a, a janitor, drive a truck or or deliver UPS, whatever you do, just do it with that sense of smile. Do it with that detachment. In Buddhism, one of the first things they teach you is detachment. The reason I became, and, and I hope this don't make you cry, the reason I became involved in Buddhism is because I've been around the Catholic religion and you know, all of that, and it made no sense to me. It was, you know. And I heard someone talk about the Buddha. And the Buddha said one thing that that tr- made me tremble. He said, All the other religions are going to show you paradise. The Buddha said, I will show you suffering and the end of suffering.
0: Wow. Wow. (laughs) That's that's powerful. That's powerful. And
1: suffering comes from desire. I want a bigger car. I want a bigger house. I want more women. I want better sneakers. I want, I want, I want, I want. And that takes all your, that drains your energy. You can have all those things, but be detached from them. We think we own them. They own us because there's no satisfaction
2: and you want bigger and better and newer. I always think about that, Ernie, when I think about my purpose or when other people are looking for their purpose. And one thing I've just grown into, I think, is I think I'm doing my purpose right here, right now, today. You know, I was always just thinking I wasn't good enough or maybe my purpose is this or that or or whatnot and i almost think like whatever you're doing today is there any way to make that your purpose no matter what it is like just to be i don't know if the word content is right but i think we're we're, we're on this or america at least is on this like go find your purpose kick and i think 90 percent of the people or maybe even more maybe doing their damn purpose right now um have you had any experience with but people looking for their per- too much of purpose and they probably are already doing their purpose or maybe can you dive into that? Yeah, there's, you may not realize
1: you just articulated perfectly an expression in Buddhism called every minute Zen. And the, the part of Buddhism that I've been addicted to or, or lived through since I was 13 uh, is called Zen, Zen Buddhism. It's you know in, in Islam, you have the, uh, the the poetic part of Islam, which is uh, the Sufis. The Sufis are the people that dance in a circle, but they're also they wear you know a fez and they, they wear these like dresses and the guys dance and, and they do it for hours but it's part of a prayer. It's also hypnotic. It's also creating an energy and a Sufi, S-U-F-I. In Buddhism, they have Zen Buddhism, okay? And what you do is that everything that you do is a prayer. Everything that you do, you find joy in. If you're brushing your teeth, you laugh about it. (laughs) If you're combing your hair, you laugh. If you're eating a sandwich, you ask yourself, where did this sandwich come from? Who made the bread? Where did the bread come from? If you're drinking water, think, where did the water come from? And then you start thinking about rain. Then you start thinking about clouds and how that happened. And your whole life is no longer consumed with Joe Biden or Donald. Life <laughs> is consumed with joy. Mm-hmm. And they say, fucker, why are you are so happy? You high? Yeah, I'm high. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but it's simple, man. What you're talking about is, is the purpose. Your purpose is if you're here. That's your purpose. Enjoy being here. <laughs> I've, I've had people say, I've worked at the same job for 20 years. I hate it. But they didn't have the courage to quit and just, you know, again, that, that's dealing with fear and it's dealing with the Buddha, I will show you suffering and the end of suffering. And the way you get past suffering is to enjoy everything around you. Mm -hmm. not Like a simpleton, he's sitting there on the corner giggling. Mm -hmm. Uh, There there was a beggar down on Wall Street. This is a true story. And I saw him uh, a few times and he would sit down. (sighs) And he was a real chubby black guy. And he'd sit there. And people go by and put his hand out. And one day, I talked to the guy afterwards when he wasn't rocking. And he said, one day, one of the guys, and all he wanted was coins, because mm. he liked the shiny. One day, one of the Wall Street brokers showed off for his buddies, gave him a $100 bill. And he said, no. I want something shiny. He gave it back. The guy gave him a quarter. He was happy. And he started. So I said, why'd you do that? He said, Because the minute I took the hundred dollar bill, nobody would give me coins anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I realized I realized he was a Buddhist. He understood. That was his job. He just said there. Wow. And I said, why do you rock? He said, it feels good. So I sat down (laughs) with him and we were talking and rocking. Okay. So Everyone, I, I'll tell you another story real quick. Uh, I went to Pennsylvania, to Philadelphia, and there was a, a room full of activists and at a bookstore, it was an activist bookstore. And, you know, they mentioned all these different people, political prisoners, all that was going to be there. And I was on the other side of town, and I jumped in a cab and the cab driver, I asked him, are you from Ethiopia? He said, no, I'm from Etria, which is near Ethiopia and they're at war with the Ethiopians. He said, what do you do? I said, I'm a, a writer, photographer. He says, okay, so we started talking. So I said, tell me about yourself. He says, nothing to tell. I drive a cab. Mm-hmm. I said, well, you come from Africa. How... For the next 40 minutes, he told me that he was a, a child soldier. He killed his first People at fourteen because they came to his village, killed everybody, took the males pr- as prisoners and made them. And he's telling me about how he killed, and that if he didn't kill these people, they would have killed him and you know his friends. And he was a child, and so we get we get to the bookstore, and I get up there to speak, and I was like literally speechless because. I said, you know, I came here tonight. I had a lot of things. I even had some things written down. I said, but I just had an experience and it made me realize that whatever I was doing was minimal. And I mm. talked about that cab driver. That was my, you know, that, that was my talk. And whatever I had about the book, about photography, about, you know, uh, Jam Master J or Run DMC or that shit no longer mattered. And I talked and engaged with the audience on the idea of child soldiers and murder and war in Africa. And, you know, it it went uh, probably a hundred times deeper than if I'd been talking about, you know, what type of uh, film do I use or, Mm -hmm. you know, which camera do I use or,
0: you know. Well, you I'm transfer sure. that energy, yeah. You transfer that energy to the audience of, the, of your experience of what you had, and Tyler, Tyler, and I, and it's it's fascinating, brother Ernie, because I always approach every conversation or relationship as to what does that person have to teach me, or what can I learn from this experience, or and and sometimes when when we don't have that universal view, we focus on what we've done right well i did this today i did that i got this award i got this accolade and we really don't ask other people questions about their life to really start to understand and learn from and it sounds like you've you've out of all the amazing things that you've done that you still were moved that much by a taxi cab driver's story that you had to share with an audience that probably was ready to hear well what what lens did he use for that particular shot or what was he thinking when he took this picture that, that universal view that you have, and like you said, uh, the Zen Buddhism, it's just the belief that there's something greater than just ourselves or, or, or just us as an individual or a person. And, and I've learned so much from this conversation today, Ernie, that it's just, it, it, it's a lot of, it's a perfect self-reflection opportunity. It's, 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 it's now prioritizing, making the time to say thank you and showing gratitude, because I think during the pandemic, we focused on what we couldn't do rather than what we could, And then we started into a negative kind of downward spiral from that, that perspective. But as we're closing up, I want to ask you because I know you're kicking off with your daughter, this, this new NFT, right? I, we joked about it earlier. I've tried to read these things. I have no (laughs) idea what they are, but you're one of a, one of a kind pieces of art, let's say, that is at Cornell, the 22,000. But then you said, we're closer to about a million, I think, when we started adding all those up, but where what is an NFT and why did why are you starting this journey? Because you said you're going to use this money to change the world and change communities and change the lives of others. So why why did why are you kicking off of this passion project? And what do you want to do, or what do you want our audience to know about this uh, this awesome experience that you're going to be on? Well,
1: an NFT is a work of art. Even if it's a cartoon or a drawing or an autograph or whatever, and it's put into a digital age. And to me, it brings back or it makes me hyper aware. I I know a woman in Canada, beautiful woman, great woman, funny woman. And, you know, guys would hit on her and she'd be like, you know, she was very standoffish. But that same guy would send her a text and she'd be on there all day and she would, you know. So I realized from her and from uh, kids that I would talk to, people that I would talk to would barely engage with me. But if you you talk to them through the internet, Mm -hmm. it's like they can't stop talking. And, you know, it's like, so I realized we're in a digital world. And I have heard so much about nfts i thought it stood for no fucking time but <laughs>
2: well, yeah me too i was like what are they
1: <laughs> and and now well first you have to understand something uh, art in america in the west is not gauged on beauty or magic or anything it's connections and if you want to read the most hyperbolic shit, pick up an art magazine. And well, theoretically, he felt that and instinctively, you know. And they decide that a work of art is good if it's a, a telephone with a banana squashed on it. That's art, okay? So this is just an extension of that. This there's, there's a guy who came up with a pet rock, and he made millions put a a little rock in a pretty box and so all right well this is basically the same thing my art has been out there in the marketplace for 40 45 years and it's been in museums and galleries and you know everywhere magazines books movies whatever and and now we're condensing it into a coin Hmm. And you have to understand, again, going back to Buddha and need and want, you don't need an NFT, but you want one because Mm -hmm. it is the thing. And I, I just look at it as an abstraction. I look at it as something that if we can democratize art again, if we can democratize uh, I think Guatemala just went to a total uh, Bitcoin economy. Wow. Uh, I, I go to the uh, store and you know I'm giving the girl $3 for whatever and and the person next to me, the little girl next to me, goes like this with her uh, credit card. On. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay. And you used to make fun of us because we used to have pretty shells and we would you know, trade for, for clothing and food and fruit by giving you, well, it's belief. Mm. You believe that that shell was worth something. You believe that this piece of paper, which is a check is somehow worth something. You, be, you know, it's a belief system and NFT gets into that. So I see the humor in it. I see the Zen in it and I see the absurdity in it. And if you can laugh at something, it no longer scares you. <laughs>
0: I love that. I love that. Well, uh, brother Ernie, this has been an absolute treat. I cannot wait for our audience to uh, have the opportunity to really learn about their that universal um, outlook and, and, and harnessing your own energy. Being cognizant of the energy that you're putting out, um, but also the energy that you're surrounding yourself with by your peers and your people and your influence. Um, this has been an unbelievable experience uh, for myself you. and for Tyler. And like Tyler said, I was I was ready to start asking you questions about, oh, what was Notorious B.I.G. really like? What was t <laughs> really like? But this was far more... Uh, enlightening, right? I could have learned from that conversation. I could have gotten some away from, from. oh, that was a cool story they shared. But I think fundamentally, you changed my perception on some things. And 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 thank you for dispelling that energy that uh, was neither created and that cannot be destroyed because this was something that I'll never forget. So I appreciate it. And thank you so much for being uh, accepting to be a guest on Time Out with Leaders with Tyler and I. Um, I, I well, hopefully, I get to meet you in person because I, like Tyler said, I'm feeling the you energy. You guys is from it i'm in rochester with tyler new york okay yeah i don't know if you ever printed on something called uh that kodak film or whatever but uh yeah we're right around the corner from that <laughs> yeah, you know,
1: good book uh called zen flesh zen bones and it's by alan watts and alan watts um is a uh, he he was on the radio a lot and alan watts is an american who got introduced to Zen, and he became. That's and fascinating. Zen it's like flesh, dude. Zen bones was a uh, a very simple introduction, um, and this very small stories called cones, K O A N S. That um, once once you read them, you know there's no right or wrong answer to them. It's it's just you know but. Zen flesh zen bones. And there's also a movie that you might watch that had a tremendous effect on me. It's called El Topo, two words, E L, capital T O P and, O. And don't be critical. Don't don't be judgmental. Just watch and say, ask yourself what what what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Why? How? And those things will help bring you somewhere. And I'm not advocating anything. I know what works for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the things is to laugh. The other thing is to, to put fear into perspective. I love, that. I love that. And the other thing is when do you sleep? When do you eat? When do you, you know, you do all these things, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to get graphic, but there's once you laugh and smile and not become distracted but detached instead of doing okay i'm going to do this and i'm going to get that or this is going to do that no do it for the doing the doing the doing the doing is the joy never mind the results because you have no control over the results might be a earthquake or a volcano in downtown rochester you know You know, the earth might split in two or aliens might come down and kidnap your babies, you know. So don't worry about the what happens. And and that's called purity. That's where you're you're involved in the doing. When I take pictures, I don't say, oh, this will be in that magazine. No, Mm -hmm. first I don't photograph furniture. If I'm gonna photograph someone, I need to speak with them. I need to see, you know, who they are. Because that's what my camera does. It captures who they are. Wow. And once you separate yourself from the result and get into the doing, your doing changes. Mm-hmm. Everything changes. And you, you know, this is not metaphysical or brilliant. I wish that I had thought of all this. But it's things that you learn. Mm-hmm. And you, you have to learn to laugh. And sometimes when you laugh. It breaks the ice, it breaks, it breaks through barriers.